Welcome to Destiny Church's weekly podcast. We're a church located in Columbia, Maryland, right between D.C. and Baltimore. And we're so glad that you decided to listen to our podcast. If you're looking for a message of hope, purpose, and destiny, then you're tuned into the right place. If you have any testimonies of what God has done in your life as a result of listening to this podcast, please email us at stories at yourdestiny.church. We love to hear how God is impacting people's lives through what he is doing at our church. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear from God as we jump into this week's message. Job chapter 1, verse 1, and it says this. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, Job. <laughs> and the man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Many of us have heard of Job before, but we didn't realize this. Do you understand Job was Zuckerberg? Like, he was the wealthiest person on the planet at that time. I know it's not Zuckerberg, but who's it now? Jeff Bezos? Or someone when I was growing up, it was like Bill Gates. Bill Gates was the baller, or Warren Buffett, or, or whatever it may be. That was Job. He was the wealthiest person on the planet. And he was a Christian. You know, sometimes like, well, if you're a Christian, you're going to be broken, humble. No, 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 no. He was loaded, humble, and <laughs> a Christian. Verse 4 says this, and his son would go, sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day or his birthday, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. They would turn up. His kids were a little ratchet. <laughs> it says, so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that God, Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. So he's a little concerned his children were so ratchet and they were turning up at their birthday parties and he was afraid they were going to like get God angry or whatever. So after every time, they would have a church service after the party. That's a buzzkill. Uh, <laughs> and then verse 18 says this, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people. Job, they're dead. All your kids are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Wow, that's heavy. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. God, that you are here with us. And because you're here, God, anything can happen. This is the atmosphere, God, of miracles. God, it sounds like a bold statement to say that you're here, but you said wherever two or three are gathered in your name, that's where you'll be. And because there's way more than three people here, we know that you're here and you're here to speak to us, to heal us, to transform us, to take us one step closer to the purpose, plan, the destiny that you have for us. So God, anoint me to speak. Our hearts are open to hear from you. And God, prophetically, I thank you that the ravens are 1-0 and o over the dolphins. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody say amen. Come on, don't hold me up. Amen and amen and amen. Do me a favor. Before you sit down, high five five people. Ask somebody, are you afraid of the dark? Come on, ask somebody. Ask somebody. Ask somebody. Ask somebody. 
Are you afraid? Are you afraid? Hallelujah. Before we jump in, can you do me a favor? If there is an empty chair anywhere, can you squeeze all the way in? You're going to find out today if your neighbor wore deodorant, if they, this is, this is that Sunday. We have people standing at the door. There's going to be people sitting in the lobby. You can slide over, Simon. There's a seat here. There's one there, one there. Y'all mind filling that gap in? You mind sliding in? Yep, yep, yep. Come on in, come on in, come on in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because we're going we gonna to stick somebody. If you don't want to slide, that's all right. We'll just put somebody on your lap. It'll work. <laughs> I have a question for you. Has anybody here, you ever seen that TV show, um, What's it called? Fatal Attractions. Fatal Attractions. Anybody seen the, the TV show Fatal Attractions? You, you've seen it. it. It it comes on Animal Planet. Uh, uh, actually, it did when I was growing up. I don't know if it's on right now. I actually saw it. It's on Amazon Prime. But uh, when I was growing up, and I grew up in a, in a big house. My parents had five kids, uh, which means they would leave us with anybody. Uh, <laughs> for any reason whatsoever. They were excited to dump us off. And every Friday, they would abandon us. They called it date night. I called it abandonment. But uh, <laughs> they would take us to grandma. And if grandma's in the room, I'm so sorry, grandma. I am going to talk about you. It's not going to be nice. But they would take us to grandma. And, uh, you know, some people, I love my grandma. My grandma's the greatest thing in the planet. But uh, she, this is bad. You can't talk about your grandma, but I am. Uh, I will. Uh, she's a little uptight. I'm not going to lie. You know, you have some grandmas that they'll let you eat candy for, for dinner and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. My grandma's a little bit more of the, you're not going to do anything at my house that you wouldn't do when your parents were around. So she was like, you're not watching anything that you're not allowed to watch when your parents were here. But we're pastor's kids. So we um, were very talented in getting away with murder. <laughs> Sorry, Grandma. So every time she would turn her head, we'd turn the TV to something we weren't supposed to watch. And, and, and we got hooked on this show called Fatal Attractions. Now, mind you, I'm like 9, 10, 11 years old. And we're watching this show. And if you've never seen it, it's on Animal Planet. And it's about people who owned animals illegally. So like you had this one guy who had a one-bedroom apartment in Harlem. And he had a tiger in his apartment. And then we're not talking about a little baby tiger. We're talking about like a four, five, six hundred pound, like king of the jungle type tiger swinging through the, you know, vines and all that in homie's apartment. Another guy had a Komodo dragon. You ever seen a Komodo dragon? It was like a cross between a lizard, an alligator, and a dragon. And uh, <laughs> it's like 500 pounds. Its saliva is poisonous. And I mean, they, they would just have these different animals in their house. Now, if you're going to watch the show, let me ruin the show for you. You can always tell if the person who owned the animal was alive by who was being interviewed. <laughs> it was like this documentary deal. And if the person who owned the animal was telling the story, they'd usually be on there like one eye or an arm missing or their leg chopped off, but at least they were there telling the story. But if it was the neighbor telling the story, if it was a wife or a cousin, you know, like, for example, Tiger Boy in Harlem, he didn't tell his own story. His cousin told the story because all they found was a piece of his pinky. Uh, it, it was one of those shows where it was just like it was it was grotesque but captivating. Does that make sense? Like you're just clued to it. And I remember we were watching this one show. We were 11 years old. And, and it was about this guy in Florida who owned poisonous snakes. Yeah, he had snakes, uh, not snake, snakes, plural. And uh, the, the snakes escaped. 
and he didn't know where the snakes went. And, and you got to understand, it was one of those shows that had like a documentary, so they're reenacting like the scenario. And so the snakes get out of his house and they get into the neighbor's plumbing. I'm 11, y'all. So one day the neighbor comes home and I don't know what happened. He went to Taco Bell too late or whatever it may be, but he has some business to take care of. You know where this is going. So homie goes to the bathroom and, you know, grabs his magazine and he sits down. I'm 11, y'all. This guy sits down to, you know, handle his business. Next thing you know, that snake comes right up the jaw. He's like, (laughs) say it with me. I'm 11, (laughs) y'all. For the next two years, no exaggeration, I could not sit on a john to save my life. I mean, I'm peeking in there. I'm one-cheeking it. I'm just like, (laughs) that TMI for church. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm like bugging out. And then even when I was able to sit down, and some of y'all in here, you know how this is. You're scared of spiders or bugs or whatever it may be. You know, even when you've checked out your surroundings and it's safe and then you sit down or whatever, just because you're thinking about it, you'll feel like this tingle or whatever. So I'd be sitting down and then I'd fly up and I'm like... I don't know if you saw the movie, Eddie Murphy's a daddy daycare, but they walked in, he's like, I missed. <laughs> what do you mean you missed? Just like, <laughs> I found for so many of us, it may not be snakes coming up a toilet, but for so many of us, we live our lives controlled by irrational fear. We, 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 we try to create a, a church here at Destiny Church that honors God and honors his presence, but it's also mindful of, of people's lives. So they've kind of constricted the pastor, and they don't let me preach for three hours anymore, uh, even though I'd love to. But uh, so what we do is we preach in series. We'll take one message, and we'll break it up into like four or six parts, and, and we'll preach it over a four- to six-week period. So today, we're starting one of those series called, What Are You Afraid Of? The reality is every single person sitting in this room, there are fears in our lives. And without us even realizing that those fears control our decisions. I, I looked up some, some of the different fears, and this is dangerous. Whenever you as a preacher ask people to give responses, you never know what, what you're going to get. So please, guys, behave and don't mess up my recording. But uh, what would you say is the number one fear in America? Just shout it out at me. What, what would you say? Fear, fear? It's public speaking. What, what else? What else? What else? Fires, spiders, spiders, spiders. It's spiders, y'all. <laughs> the number one phobia in America are spiders. Arachnophobia. 30% of this room checked under their chair before they sat down. <laughs> and even now, you're kind of squirmish. You're not really, <laughs> what's going on? 30% of America is, is afraid of spiders. You know, snakes is another one. People are scared of snakes. People are scared of water. People are scared of heights. People are scared of dogs. I'd like to submit to you that there's nobody on the planet who's afraid of spiders. No, I'm scared of spiders. You're not scared of spiders. You're scared of getting bitten by a spider and dying. (laughs) That's what you're afraid of. I'm scared of snakes. You're not scared of snakes. You are scared of getting bitten by a snake and dying. I'm scared of heights. You're not scared of heights. You're scared of falling from heights and The moral of the story is, you're only really scared of one thing. You're scared of 
Dying. <laughs> you have in your mind, this is the way I don't want to go. And that's what you've made your fear. I, I, I did some research, and I don't know if this is going to help you with your fear or make it worse, but I, I looked up how many people die of spider bites every year. In America, there are 327.2 million people as of last year. So it's probably an extra, you know, 300,000 or whatever it may be. But, but of those 327, 28 million people, watch this, last year, six people died <laughs> of a spider bite. Now, I don't know if that encourages you because I thought when I was doing the research, it'd be zero. So the fact that six people actually did die is a little concerning for me. So I think now I am scared of spiders. Six people died of spider bites. Huh? Guess what? Seven people died of snake bites. You're more likely to die from a snake bite than you are from a spider bite. 21 people died from the attack of a dog. So you actually should be more afraid of dogs than you are of <laughs> spiders. Somebody said, I am. <laughs> can, can I give you a shocking one? Last year, 53 people died from bee stings. Huh? Somebody said, I know, so I don't mess with bees. You're more likely to die from a bee sting than a spider bite. Here's a fun one. Last year, 54 people died from lightning strikes. Huh? You are more likely, everybody's going to walk out of this church like <laughs> final destination type stuff. <laughs> you are more likely to get hit by lightning and die than to die from a spider bite. So many of us, the point is, have these irrational fears that aren't supported by statistics or facts or life or whatever. Maybe it's just my fear and you can't convince me otherwise. I'd like to submit to you, though, that the greatest fear that controls your life is probably not your phobia. It's not spiders, lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my, lions, tigers, bears. That, that's not your greatest fear. The greatest fear that, that controls your life for so many of us are things like the fear of failure or, or, or the fear of rejection or the fear of being alone, or the fear of not being enough. And, and, and it's these subtle fears. You may not realize this, but fear is Satan's poison for your future. Wow. He actually slips these subtle fears into your life, and without even realizing it, you begin to live a fear-based life, and fear dictates your decisions instead of hope and joy and faith in the destiny that God has for you. For, for example, as men, the greatest fear a man faces is not being enough, not being able to provide for his family, not able to, you're not a man. The worst thing you can say to a man is you're not a man. He will be a Christian, love God, and still fight you. Don't say that. <laughs> this, you don't have what it takes. So, so here's what happens for so many men. Because we have this fear in us that, that we're not enough, that we can't provide, that we can't cover those that are around us, we turn into workaholics. And I'm going to prove that fear wrong. So there's this, this drive in our lives that, watch this, it produces good things. It produces wealth. It produces influence. It produces uh, promotions. But it causes us to neglect more valuable things in our lives, like our marriages and our children 
and even our own health, a man will drive himself with ambition beyond the place where his body can sustain. Don't worry, women, I'm coming for you too. I'm an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> Women's greatest fear is vulnerability. Be being exposed, being uncovered, being isolated, being, being wounded, whether it's emotionally or physically. And because of that fear, it drives women to unhealthy balances in their life. Women have a propensity to care more about other people than they care about themselves. So they will give up their health just to take care of their children and their spouse. Women are more committed to their girlfriends than they're committed to their own selves. And it, it sounds noble, you know what I mean? It sounds, ain't nobody going to love you like a mother loves you and all that other good stuff. But, but the reality is it could be based in a fear of being alone, of being rejected, of being exposed, of being isolated. And those fears unchecked in our life drives us to a place of unhealth. In this passage that we read, we're reading about Job, one of the most godly people on the planet, one of the most wealthy people on the planet, but Job was battling a major fear in his life. Job's fear was losing everything that he had. He was paranoid. And Jonathan spoke about it last week. You, you, you ever been in a position where life was too good? You, you, you know what I mean? Like your husband remembered that special day and bought you flowers? And you're like, what's wrong? <laughs> like, like you got the promotion without asking? For the first time, aunts, uncles, mom, dad, kids, nobody's sick in the family? And, and, and instead of being relaxed and enjoying it, you're kind of just like, okay, I'm waiting for the other shoe to fall. What's coming? This is too good to be. That's the perpetual state that Job lived in. He wasn't just afraid of losing everything. He was afraid of losing the most valuable thing he had, and that was his children. So every time his kids would have a party, every time they would turn up, Job would be in his house just paranoid, just like, I hope they don't sin. I hope they don't turn their back on God. I hope they don't return. And as soon as the party was over, Job would show up with a Bible and some oil splashing it on. Can you imagine the end of a party, somebody splashing oil on you? and <laughs> Give me that wine. You can keep it. It's communion. And, <laughs> and he would have a church service at the end of every party just to make sure that they didn't do something that would bring harm to their life. And look what happened. They died. Because fear is faith in the enemy's plan for your life. We may not realize this, but your faith dictates your future. Not your faith in God, just your faith. So if your faith is the world is coming to an end, your world will eventually come to an end. And the enemy knows if I can just place a fear in your heart and get it to stay, I can control you without even touching you. So what I want to do today, I want to preach a message called the anatomy of fear, the anatomy of fear. How does fear work? How can we expose fear in our lives so that we can eradicate it and walk in the freedom of God? Amen? So I'm going to give you just three quick points. If you love Jesus and, and you like me, you don't have to love me, just like me. Can you, can you write this down? Can you take notes? There's, there's sermon notes in, in your worship guide. If you don't love Jesus and you don't really like me, um, Still write this down. It'll help you anyway. <laughs> the first thing is this. Fear starts as a suggestion. 
Fear always starts as a suggestion. Here's what Satan is going to do. He's going to come and make a suggestion, whisper in your ear, you're not okay. For, for, for those theologians in the room, there, there, there's this, this, this approach or this law when you're, you're approaching God's word called the law of first mention. And basically what it states is that if you want to know how things work, if you want to know the original intent or the original process for things, find where it is first mentioned in Scripture. And the first time it's mentioned in Scripture is where it's defined, and every other time is just supporting evidence. So here's the first time Satan ever spoke to a human. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say? Fear always starts as a whisper in your ear, as a suggestion that you can't really trust God. You got to look out for yourself. God, hey, this is what Satan said. He said, come on, Eve. Did God really say not to eat from that mango tree? Now, now, some of you, your theology is messed up. You thought it was an apple tree. It's because you're American. I'm from the Caribbean, so we all know it had to be a mango because ain't no apple never tempted anybody in anything. <laughs> it absolutely was a mango. So Satan comes and he said, did God really say not to eat that mango? He said, yeah, God said not to touch. He's like, here's why he said that. Because God doesn't want you to be all powerful like him. If you eat of that tree, you'll be like God because you'll have the knowledge of good and evil. What was he suggesting? That God is keeping you from really experiencing life. Huh? Can I talk a little bit? Isn't that the whole perception of church? I don't want to go to church because I can't have fun. It's a place of rules. You know, I can't have sex, can't drink. <laughs> Can't do this, can't do that. <laughs> Who wants to live like that? Now I'm going to live. YOLO. <laughs> Which is a lie, by the way. You don't only live once. You live forever. Forever in heaven, eternity with God. Or, But Satan suggested, hey, you're not okay where you are. You're missing out. Here's what Satan wants to do. He wants to narrate every event in your life. You know, there's a reason why you have to work harder than everybody else. I mean, look, here you are. You show up to work early. You leave late. You're, you're doing more. And then they get the promotion. It's because they don't like you. There's a reason why your father didn't stick around. And the fact that he left means that you're not ever going to know what it's like to be a man. Is it okay to say, I hate Satan? Is that okay? I'm waiting for your permission. Am I good? Okay, cool, cool. I hate Satan. And here's why. He doesn't just pick on people his size. He'll go after children. Like how asinine is it for a seven-year-old, mom and dad get a divorce and somehow the seven-year-old feels it's their fault. If, if I hadn't been here or if I hadn't, hadn't taken them or this or whatever it may be, he tries to narrate the seasons of your life and to use those events to instill fear in your heart. It, it, it happened to me growing up. I'm, I'm one of five. Any second-born children in the room? Any second-born, second-born, second-born? Listen, listen, let me just warn y'all. Don't mess with the second-born. We, we've been survivors from the day we were born. We had some older sibling trying to boss us around, tell us what to do. You ain't my mama. You ain't my daddy. Get out my face. Second-borns, 
We're fighters. Somebody say amen. <laughs> you are right. You know? I, I was second born, and I, I was an unlucky second born because my older sister was a genius. Her, her name is Stephanie. If you met her, you know. Uh, if you don't know if you've met her, just trust me, you haven't met her. Because <laughs> she's one of those people you remember when you meet her. She walks in the room. She's like, what's up? I was like, ah! And then I walk in, I'm like, but she, she, I mean, I mean, she's just, she's amazing. She's impressive. She, she's just a genius. She would, she would brag. She said, you know, in high school, I never got a B. I said, so what? I never got a B either. <laughs> I'm not impressed. <laughs> I think it, was, I think it wasn't that hard. <laughs> I'm like, literally, she applied to like multiple Ivy League schools and got into all, like she had her pick of Ivy League schools. I, I applied to one school. And that's the one I went to. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just, I mean, scholarships and internships and doors open. You get the point. She was smart and I was me. Uh, so then the enemy began to whisper in my ear, Stephen, you're not, you're not as smart as your sister. Actually, you, you don't have much to offer because you don't have that outgoing personality that everybody's drawn to you're not going to amount to much. And it's amazing how a suggestion from the enemy becomes an identity. And because from young, I believed that I wasn't that smart and, and, and I didn't have much to offer. Here, here, it's weird how our personalities respond to life. Here was my response. Well, if I'm not that smart, fine. I'm not even going to try. So, so I didn't even apply myself. I was just like, if I'm not that smart, and it doesn't matter how hard I work, I'll never be as smart as her. Why bother try? I'm going to just have fun. So that was me. I was just, me too. Come on now. I was just like, we're going to turn up because it's going to make it great. And, and then it's weird. When I actually got good grades, I would hide them. Because I'm like, they're not going to be proud of me anyway. It doesn't matter what I do. That, that's their favorite child. So, so let me just, let me just, let me just even hide my successes. And then, and then I'm just going into the paranoia. Then it turns into a 20-something-year-old who says, nobody has my back. Nobody, nobody really cares about my successes. It, it, it's just, it's just all from a whisper from the enemy. This is what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and of a sound mind. It doesn't matter what the enemy is whispering in your ears. It doesn't matter what the world or the life events have given you. God says, that's not who I made you to be. You're not supposed to be captive to fear. I've given you power. Some of you people told you you're not a people's person because you're an introvert. God says, no, 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 no. I, I made you a person of love. And I've given you a someone. The second thing is this. So fear starts off as a suggestion. And then the second thing is this. Suggestions unchecked become facts. First it was a suggestion, but it's gone unchecked. And now it's a fact. And here's how Satan works. He always brings evidence with his lies. He, he's going to lie to you, but he's going to have evidence to, to back it up. Like, for example, there was a story in this Bible about a man who had 12 sons. And like every parent, he had a favorite son. That's not good. That's not true. I don't have any favorites. Isn't that what they always say? <laughs> my mom says, I do have a favorite. Whoever is obeying me today, that's my favorite. <laughs> but his favorite was Joseph, his youngest son. And he had no shame about saying he had a favorite. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he bought his youngest son, Joseph, a Gucci coat. Now, it may not be in your translation, but that's what my Bible says. 
It says he took this coat and he put it on his son. And, and Joseph didn't really help out the matter either. He was a little arrogant. So he's walking around just like, hey, I'm dad's favorite. All you jokers, you're going to worship me one day. <laughs> you never heard the Bible like this before, have you? So his brothers are like, cool, we're going to kill him. How did we get here, guys? Like, mess up his room, you know, trash his Xbox. Don't kill him. And then Judah, the older brother, Judah was a Christian, so Judah said, we're Christians, we don't kill. Let's sell them into slavery. Because that's so much better, right? <laughs> so they sold them into slavery, but they needed a story to tell dad. So watch the story they told dad. Genesis 37, 31, it says this. So they took Joseph's Gucci coat and killed the kid of the goats and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, remember, fear starts off as a suggestion. Do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not? Hey, Dad, we found this out in the, in the wilderness. Does this look like devastation, heartache, and pain? And he recognized it, and looks what he says. It is my son's tunic. Somebody scream back at me, facts. facts. Was it his son's tunic? Look what he said next. A wild beast has devoured him. Not true. He said, without doubt, my Joseph is torn to pieces. Because evidence came with the lie, his father believed it. And listen to me, every time the enemy whispers a lie in your ear, he is going to bring evidence to back it up. You're, you're not that smart. Yes, I am. <laughs> I've seen your SAT scores, okay? You are not this smart. <laughs> Everything you touch gets destroyed. You're just a screw-up. That's not true. Well, you got fired from your job, and nobody else did. And your marriage didn't work out, and everybody else's did. And if we're not careful, and you may be saying, Pastor, but all those things are true. All those things actually really did happen to me. That may be true, but here's the thing. Did you unpack them? Did you really see them for what they were? And if not, you're going to accept that suggestion as fact, and it is going to have you paralyzed in fear. Well, everybody in my family had breast cancer, so that means I'm going to get it too. Fact. Did mom, aunt, and grandma have breast cancer? Yeah. Does that guarantee you're going to get it? Everybody I know, their marriage ended in a divorce. So I don't want to get married because marriage is not forever. It's just for now. I know it's church and it's sensitive. Can I talk for a second? By the way, if you're in here, and I know there's so many people that you've, you've, you've been divorced. Listen to me. If you've been through a divorce, your best days are not ahead of you. Your best days are before you. God has a great plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. The Bible says if anyone's in Christ, all that stuff is passed away. All things have become new. He still has a great future for you. Somebody say amen. amen. But I have to say it. If you've been through a divorce, somebody didn't do it God's way. There was pride where there should have been humility. There was unforgiveness and bitterness where there should have been grace and, and, and empathy. Something inside of that marriage, can I just be real, real, real? It was both of y'all. It wasn't just him. <laughs> Let's just get that out there. It wasn't just her. Something wasn't done God's way. 
And if we're not careful, we will take a real event that wasn't done under the umbrella of God and we'll make a blanket statement of the entire world and then we'll let it dictate our lives. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. It says, above all. Now, I knew it was Welcome Home Sunday and I had to sound smart, so I did some extra research and, and I looked up above all in the original Greek. And guess what I discovered about the word above all? In the original Greek, it means... <laughs> Y'all did the same research I did. It means above. It means the number one thing... Because the number one thing you can do is to carry the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil. You don't understand how life works. Every day, all day, right now, Satan is whispering suggestions in your ear of you're not okay, you're not safe, things are not going to turn out the way you think they're going to. Let me, let me give you an example, and I'll throw myself under the bus, and then y'all can jump under there with me. So, so I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be disciplined and all that. So on Thursday, the end of my workday, I'll set my schedule up for the next week, all my meetings and out of the house with this, lunch and all that kind of stuff. And, the, and then Monday will come around. It was a long weekend or I got busy or playing with the kids or whatever it may be. And, and I won't leave the house the time that I said I was going to leave the house. And it makes me a little bit late for a meeting and I'm driving and I'm frustrated at myself that I'm already off schedule, not on time. And then here's this whisper come, you know why you left late, right? Because you're not really that disciplined. Like, 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 you're still a goofball. You're, 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 you're not a disciplined leader. And, and because you're not disciplined, you're not really a great leader. And all those people, they think you're a great leader, but that's just because you're, you're tricking them because you're pretending to be a great leader. And at some point, they're going to realize that you're not really a great leader, and then they're not going to follow you. And, and, am I the only one? Y'all, it's five minutes late. Like, don't you? <laughs> Like literally, you'll have a bad day and in your imagination, you're already living under a bridge, homeless, eating a smoothie for dinner. Like, the Bible says unless you learn to check the suggestions of the enemy and say, no, 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 I made a mistake. I am not a mistake. I was made, formed, and fashioned in the image of God. Yes, this disease may come through my family, but he said by his stripes, I have been healed. So what? The economy is going down. He said, never have I seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. Not Silicon Valley, not New York Stock Exchange, and definitely not my... You have to learn how to check those fears. Because when you don't check fears, here's the last things. Facts accepted become my faith. So it starts off as a suggestion, and then after it turns from a suggestion and it's backed up with facts, if I don't uncheck that fact, it becomes my faith, and my faith becomes my actions. James says this, your faith is not what you believe, your faith is what you do. And once you believe it to be true, it's going to dictate the way you act. And we don't realize this. We spend more time allowing Satan to whisper into our ears through music. We're going to have church today, Ms. Ruth. <laughs> through talk shows. Through bitter family members. Can I? Where's church? So can we have a little, can, can, can I say? All men cheat. 
Really? All men cheat. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can't trust a man. All men cheat. Where'd you get that from? My aunt told me her man cheated. <laughs> oh, okay. And then I was watching Steve Harvey, and he kind of said, Huh? 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 I'm going to have some fun today. So there's this song called Formation. You should just go there, right? And there's this line in the song that says, I'm so possessive that I rock his Rock Nation necklace. Yeah, I went there. So you're so concerned about him cheating on you that you have to wear his stuff so everybody knows he's marked. Come on, I'll tell you what pastor kids say. I just like the music. I'm not listening to the words. No, 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 no. You are indoctrinating your heart. And because in your heart you believe that all men cheat, when you get a man, you treat him like he will. And I'm not saying that infidelity is okay. It is 100% a sin. But can I tell you how this plays out? then the enemy begins to whisper in his ear, well, if she's not going to trust you, you might as well not be trustworthy. So just go ahead and do what she's already treating you like you've done and that she's accusing you of what you... All men don't cheat. Ungodly men cheat. Men of God are faithful to their home and faithful to their family. And they don't stay faithful because she's hot, because she's young, or because she's beautiful. They stay faithful because they honor God and his word and his presence in their life. I don't care how much you yell. I, I know Christian men who cheated. I didn't say Christians. I said, godly. There's a difference. And if we're not careful, these subtle fears dictate our actions. And our fear actually prophesies our future. Job's greatest fear was that his children would sin and die. And guess what happened? They sin and they die. Because fear tolerated becomes faith evaporated. So, there is, however, a fear in Scripture that the Bible says is a good fear, not a negative fear. In Proverbs 9.10, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One. Is, like, like when you fear God, that's when you understand life. Now, like I said, if you could have one knock against the Bible, it's that when they translated it into English, some of the translations didn't quite make it. And here's why. Because the Hebrew language and the Greek language is what the Bible was originally written in. And there's a lot more Hebrew and Greek words than there are English words. So sometimes they would take a word and they couldn't quite find the perfect English translation. So they try to put a word there in its stead that wasn't the right fit. That should not have said the fear of the Lord. What that word actually means is the reverence or the respect of the Lord. 
Can, can, can I give you an example? Let's say you have a, a kid, he's, he's in high school and he plays basketball. And he walks into a gymnasium and when he walks in the gym, he sees Michael Jordan standing there. And Michael Jordan's like, man, I just came kind of to coach you up today. I've been watching your game and, and, and here's what I need you to do. When you go in, I need you to finish with the left hand. I, I, imagine if that kid said, Jordan, you're a has-been. Y'all all gasped. <laughs> like, this ain't, this ain't the day that you used to play. Nowadays, we Eurostep, we travel. We, uh... <laughs> You don't got nothing to say to me, Jordan. We all gasp. Why? Because that's Jordan, the greatest there ever was next to LeBron. <laughs> but we would say that kid has no respect. That kid has no reverence. We would actually say that kid has no fear. When you're in the midst of somebody that's greater than you, can I be mean? You shut up and you listen to them. The fear of the Lord, I don't know why I'm feeling so ornery today. Is America shut up? Nobody asked your moral opinion. When you make the planet, then you make decisions. That's, that's not life giving. I'm sorry, let me say it in, in, in a much nicer way. The, the Bible says this. When we give God right to call the shots in our life, when we say, God, I reverence your opinion over my experiences in life, over what my mama taught me, what my dad had taught me, I reverence your opinion. The Bible says that's where life begins. That's where safety happens. And as long as I fear the Lord, the enemy's fear doesn't have authority in my life. But when I make a decision that I don't care what God says, I'm going to do it my way. I'm actually exposed to the enemy coming in and destroying my life through suggestions. I was talking to somebody who said, what does it mean to be a Christian? And, and I said, here's what it means to be a Christian. It means you've made the decision to allow God to control you. And they looked at me like, wait, huh? I thought being a Christian meant that I believed in Jesus. I said, no, I'm sorry, that's not true. Because the Bible says even demons believe in Jesus and they tremble. <laughs> Believing in Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. Make, you, you ever heard him, you know, old preachers, I'm an old preacher. I've been pastoring for eight years. I'm an old preacher now. <laughs> Us preachers, we say, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Another translation. What does Lord mean? Controller. The number one authority, it means, God, I'm no longer calling the shots. I give you the right to call the shots. So even though that person ticked me off and I really want to tell him, I'm not going to. Because, God, you dictate my words. And even though I, I'm not going to. Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And look what Jesus said happens when you make that decision to surrender to him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Bible says every single person was born under a spirit of fear. There's some of y'all in the room like, it ain't got nothing to do with me. I ain't scared of nothing. <laughs> you know, some people, their greatest fear is fear. Yeah. 
They've seen other people that have been paralyzed by fear, and they said, that's never going to be me. So just to prove that they're not afraid of fear, they live reckless lives, and they take unnecessary risks just to prove that they're not afraid of fear. And the whole time, fear is controlling you. God, God, God says, you will either be under my covering or you'll be controlled by fear. I, I, I was, was driving with my wife, and I had my three-year-old Zoe in the back, and, and, and Roman, he always sleeps when we're driving. <laughs> and, and the car was dirty. I said, hey, babe, let's stop, and let's get a car wash. And, and, and we pull into the car wash, and apparently my wife and my daughter had been there before. My, my three-year-old, when she went through, she, she freaked out. She lost her mind. She was, I mean, she was just like, oh, my gosh. And, and I'm pulling in, and, and, and she sees this, this, this horrible monster that eats cars, mommy and daddies, and everything. <laughs> And she's, I mean, she starts wigging out. And, and my wife, I'm going to throw in her butt. She's like, babe, you, you can do this later. Zoe's afraid of car washes. Let's not do this now. I said, no. I have no three-year-old scared of no car wash. <laughs> Plus, I already paid my $20, and I ain't wasting my money, so we're going to get this car wash. <laughs> overcome your fear, waste my money. Overcome your fear, you're going to overcome this fear. So I pull it in. They're strapping the car in, and Zoe, I mean, she's bugging out. And I'm like, Zoe, uh, Forgive me. It's like Zoe says, Zoe! <laughs> you know, yeah, yes, 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 yes. So Zoe, you're okay. Zoe, your dad's in the car. Zoe, do you really think I would let something happen to you with me in this car right now? She's like, no, daddy, no, daddy. And I says, okay, okay, okay. And I held her hand. And she's like, oh, I was like, no, we got this. We're good. We're good. We're good. A little bit of dirt there. Get that off. Okay, come on. Yeah. And then I, I opened not the sunroof, but the little visor. And I said, look, Zoe, look, they're cleaning the car. And she goes, oh, wow. That's cool. You know that little brat? Every time we pass a gas station, now she's like, daddy, daddy, car wash. Let's go, car wash. Let's go get a car wash. Why? Because when my dad is in there with me. Psalm 23, 4, and I'll leave it here. This is what the Bible says. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will because my dad is with me. He said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff was a shepherd's journal. And they would etch a mark in that staff every time God rescued them from danger. And what he was saying is, I have proof that my dad has protected me, that he's covered me, that he's rescued me. I lived through the 08 recession, and I'm still there. I was raised in the 90s, baby, and I'm not crazy. He was with me. He walked with me. He has me. So this is what Welcome Home Sunday is all about. It's not about joining a church. I, I think there's amazing churches all over Maryland. I think Destiny Church is one of those churches. Let me just get that out there. It's not about joining a church. It's about I want you in a family. A family with a father that says you can fear no evil because I'm with you. But you got to make a decision. Am I going to fear fear? But at least I'm my own man. Or am I going to fear God and know that he's covering me? Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful. 
God, for your presence in this place right now. Right where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment of time to make this time, this message personal to you. Maybe you're in here in your heart of hearts, you know. I can't say that Jesus is the one controlling my life. Maybe you're like me and you grew up in church and you know all the verses. You could have preached this message better than me, but you're still picking and choosing the parts of your life that you give to God. Or maybe you've never been in an experience like this before. Maybe you're watching online and you just know, I can't say that Jesus is the controller of my life, but I want him to be right now. If that's you, you can make that decision in this moment right now. I'm not going to have you stand up or come up front, but right where you're sitting, if you say, Pastor, that's me, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. Can you pray this prayer with me? Matter of fact, every single person in this room, out of encouragement of those that are making the greatest decision they could ever make, say, Lord Jesus, in this moment, I surrender. I give you full authority in my life. Thank you for dying on the cross so that I can be forgiven. Be my Lord and my Savior. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.